Oh my. Were you blessed by that? I, I just want to thank Nico and the worship team for just preparing our hearts in worship. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you, testifying, sharing part of your testimony. Would you come back and share your whole testimony? Would you do that? Yeah, you're, we, we'd love to have you back. So yeah, yeah she said yes already. Um, my name's Bill Reeser, and I'm the pastor of Encounter, and I want to welcome everyone out to the greatest place to be on a Friday night. I want to welcome all of our friends that are here in the Father's House. I want to welcome all of our friends that watch online around the country, uh, wherever you are, uh, whether you're just stuck in a, in a storm somewhere and it's freezing, know that it's hot in here because God is here. God is in this place. So thank you for joining us at Encounter. I want to just, I kicked off something last week. I told you I was going to start a, a sort of a three-part talk where I would talk about identity, what it means to be a child of God. And today's talk is I am a child of God. We're going to talk a little bit about, I got to remind us of what we spoke about last week before Judy's testimony. And I'm going to conclude this talk just for the men uh, at the sanctuary on January 27th, that's Saturday morning. But I'm going to give you everything I've got today on this talk. So just to recap what we spoke about last week, we spoke about waking up every day and realizing what does it mean to be a child of God? When was the last time you thought about what it means to be a child of the one true king? Do you wake up every day knowing who you are in Christ, whose you are, that you're a son, that you're a daughter of the one true king? Do you wake up every day with the assurance and confidence that you belong to the royal family of the universe, not the one over on the other side of the ocean. I'm talking about the royal family. You're part of, you're part of royalty. You're part, you're part of a kingdom that will never end, that will never fade away. In fact, is the reason why I say this is that because most of us, most Christians that I know, never have a clue to who they are in Christ. Most Christians will spend an entire lifetime trying to become somebody they already are. In fact, is we let circumstances, other people, our insecure thinking, our past hurts, our current character defects trick us into thinking that we are what we say, we are what we think, we are what we do. But that's not who you are. We let the enemy of our soul and this broken world attack and steal and rob us of our real identity in Christ. And the way that they do that, they convince us that we are our sins. We are our character defects. We are our bad habits. And if you don't know who you are in Christ, you'll never know what your purpose is. You'll never know where you're headed. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. To see, the moment you get into your spirit, what your real, what your true identity in Christ is, you're going to discover what your purpose is. You're, going to, you're, you're always going to know where you're headed. You're always going to know what your destiny is. And the moment you realize that when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, this is important. A real, real transaction occurred. This isn't an idea. This isn't a theology. A real transaction occurs in your life. It takes place the moment you die to your old life. An identity. You die to that old identity. And you were made new into a new creation. You are made new. Look what it says up on the screens. I love this scripture. This is our key scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Welcome new person. This is from God. You can't do this who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You have a ministry. You're looking for one? You got one. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them and has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The new is here, and friends, you are it. You are the new, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
Not only are you made into a new creation, but you have a clearly defined purpose. You now have a ministry. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. You ought to be reconciled. You ought to be a peacemaker. You ought to reconcile all your relationships and show others how they can be reconciled as well too. And here's what that means. You ought to live a life so deeply committed to Jesus Christ that others in your sphere of influence, others in your world should take notice. You are to live your life in such a way that other people are want, they're going to want to know what you have inside of you and how they can be reconciled to God. And that's how you should live your life. That's the ministry that God's entrusted to you. You're given a title on top of that. So many, go through, so many people go through life looking for significance. Well, if I only had this job, if I only had that title, if I only was the boss, if I only was the captain, if I only was a leader, well, here, here's your title. You're an ambassador of Christ. Is there any better title? You're an ambassador of Christ. you got a title. Your resume should now say this about who you are. I'm a child of the one true king who is loved by my father. I have been made new with a new and true identity in Christ. I am a minister of reconciliation. And I'm an ambassador of Christ. I know who I am. I know what my purpose is. I know where I'm headed. And my hope is that you'll join me. This is so important that you understand everything that the Bible has to say about what it means to be in Christ and in Christ what Christ has done for us and how to live that out. For example, many Christians, I, I, I hear them say this and it sort of makes me cringe. They will say, maybe you've said it, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Sounds good, but theologically, biblically, it's not correct. You see, once you receive Christ into your life, you're no longer called a sinner. You're called a saint. You may, not, you may not act like a saint. You may not think like a saint. You may think that the only way I can be a saint is if a bunch of people in the Vatican and Rome will vote on me, then I'll become a saint. Well, the Bible refers, when the Bible refers to sinners and saints, not referring to things you do or don't do or things you're trying to become or things that you're not, they're actually identity statements. When the Bible refers to a sinner, the Bible is talking about someone who hasn't accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. When the Bible talks about saints, they're talking about people who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's one of the titles that God gives you when you receive him in Christ, when you're made new. You're called a saint. You're called righteous. You're called holy. Guys, you're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're all these things. We're accepted, secure, significant. So a better way to identify yourself is this. I'm a saint who still sins, who still needs God's grace. But I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner saved by grace, but now I'm called a saint who still sins, who still needs his grace. Does that make sense? Okay, just want to make sure we got that. I threw that in, no charge. Wasn't part of the talk, but I just wanted, I wanted you to know that. All right, where am I? Okay. Here's one of the reasons why I said that. Listen. Without Christ, you have no power over sin. In Christ, sin has no power over you. And you need to know that. Some people say, well, I can't get over the sin in my life. Oh, yes, you can. It's just a mindset put there at the doorpost of your mind by a lie set to take you out that will grow into a stronghold. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. You see, who you are in Christ is a biblical fact and reality that occurs with a real transaction when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's part of your benefit package. It's part of what it means to be born again into God's family. Your identity is one of many perks and blessings we inherit. Of course you don't deserve it. You'll never deserve it. But it's what you inherit when you trust in Christ. And when you trust in Jesus and realize what close to 140 scriptures in the New Testament say about who we are and what Christ makes possible when we are in Christ, it should do something to you. It should light a fire in your bones. It should change your perspective on life. It should make you grateful and overwhelming with an overwhelming spirit of gratitude and devotion to the one who makes all this possible. It should make you want to live your life in total gratitude to Jesus Christ. It should change your priorities. It should change your mindset. It should change your values. 
It should change your mind about anything you hold on to, people with a tight fist. Oh, I'm just like this. Oh, this is what I believe. Oh, this is what I know. Oh, this is what I do. This is what I am. And you can never, ever change because you're declaring over yourself lies that are in reality are strongholds because you're not open to change. You're not open to realizing who you are in Christ. The whole essence of understanding what your new and true identity in Christ is is to always allow God to change the way you think, which, will always, which hopefully will turn into heart actions, and eventually your feelings follow. Just like we teach around here, you always hear me preach on Romans 12, 1 and 2. In view of God's mercy, in light of what he's done for you, offer your bodies a living sacrifice before God, holy and pleasing. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You allow God to change the way you think. It'll, it'll, it'll give you the opportunity to make those biblical thoughts and truths translate into heart actions. And before you know it, you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind and you're changing from the inside out and you're experiencing what it means to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. It should make you live your life with purpose and intentionality to do everything you can do every moment of every day of your life to become like Jesus Christ in purpose and personality in everything that you put your hands to. It should make you relentless in seeking the face of God, the will of God, the word of God, the leading of God, the truth of God, the spirit of God, the promises of God, the presence of God, the healing of God, the power of God, the grace of God, and the miracles of God. Because once you seek those things and and experience those things, your life will never be the same and you'll never want to go back to any old way of living, which is no living at all because Christ is the only life that's there for you that is the abundant life full of joy and blessing and peace and power that only Christ can offer. That's the life that you want. It should compel you to live a life of love, allowing perfect love to rule and reign in your life so all your fears will be cast out in Jesus' name. Struggling with fears these days? Allow perfect love to come in and give you a new identity, and those fears are going to get off of you, away from you. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. It should make you give Jesus permission to have a strong, loving hold on your life. Otherwise, strongholds will wreck your life. When you do this, you're going to be able to speak to the mountains in your life and command them to be removed from your life. Or the alternative is you're going to be climbing mountains the rest of your life, and you're going to be exhausted instead of refreshed and rejuvenated, walking in healing and power all your life. When you do this, when you trust in Jesus like this, you'll have divine power to demolish strongholds in your life and live a life of freedom, or those strongholds are going to demolish you. You allow a stronghold to get a stronghold on you because some strongholds are stronger than others. They'll take you out and destroy your life. They really will. You see, strongholds don't always start out as a stronghold. It may start out as a little toehold, lead to a big foothold. That's a big foot right there. I've had some big footholds, but most of my footholds have led to big strongholds. They really have. And every one of those levels, a toehold, a foothold, a stronghold, is fueled by the lies that you allow to take root in your life, strategically placed in your head, compliments of the devil. Never forget that. When you realize who you are in Christ, now here's the key, and remain in Christ, you'll have the unique ability and the discipline of a disciple to take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. You learn how to do that. You come to encounter long enough, you're going to learn how to do that. We're going to teach you how to do that. Or the alternative is you're going to let the lies that come to the doorpost of your mind lead you to every self-defeating thing you'll ever say, do, or think in your life. Because behind every self-defeating behavior or action you'll ever do in your life is a lie that you believe. And you've got to know the truth, the truth that sets you free. Believing who you are in Christ is not something most people automatically believe when they become Christians. And most people will do anything to project an image of strength, instead of insecurity and 
inadequacy. I mean, I certainly never introduced myself by saying, hi, my name is Bill, and I'm, I'm a prideful, insecure person with abandonment and acceptance issues fueled by my guilt and shame. How you doing? I never introduced myself like that. Yet I felt that way for the first 36 years of my life all the time. And you know what? I believed it. And Satan wants you to believe every single lie about your identity. His plan is not to get you to drink or do drugs or destroy your marriage or destroy your relationships. He knows that if he can get you to believe a lie about who you are, then, you, then you're, you're destined. Once you, once you believe that lie, you're nothing, you're nobody, you're unlovable, you're worthless, you're ugly. Once you believe that lie, then he knows that you're going to walk down a pathway of bondage leading to all these other destructive things in your life. See, if you believe the truth about who you really are, that you're beautifully made, God doesn't make junk. I mean, when God made you, he said... He said, wow, 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 wow. Because God doesn't make junk. He said, that was good, that was good, that was good. When he made my wife, he blushed. (laughs) That's what he does. He did, he told me so. See, if you believe the truth about who you are, you'll be free from those strongholds and things that keep you in bondage. Neil Anderson, who wrote the book Bondage Breakers, Freedom from Darkness, and Free from Addiction, great ministry, uh, he writes that addictive behaviors are mental strongholds in your life. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 tells us that strongholds are arguments, pretensions, and thoughts that oppose the knowledge of God and his truth. Let me just give you the whole scripture. It says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with, listen to this, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What are strongholds? Here they come. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. These are the lies that keep us in bondage. Ed Sivoso is one of the guys that uh, Neil Anderson quotes, and he defines a stronghold as this. Listen to this definition of a stronghold. A mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable what is known to be against the will of God. Neil Anderson goes on to list four of the strongholds, and I can tell you that these were four strongholds that had a hold on my life that basically tried to take me out, and it's a miracle that I'm even alive today. And he talks about these four strongholds uh, that lead to most addictions and destructive behaviors. The first one is the stronghold of hopelessness, if you're taking notes and filling in the blanks. Let me tell you something. You experience hopelessness, you're a goner. You can live with a lot of things that you can't live without hope. You can have a situation that's hopeless, and if it stays hopeless enough without any change, it won't be long before you start thinking, I'm hopeless. When you start thinking, I'm hopeless, that can lead to a chain effect of negative emotions and feelings that you can never turn back from. It can lead to anxiety, it can lead to fears, it can lead to depression. It can lead to suicide because one hopeless thought leads to another hopeless thought, to another hopeless thought. Before you know it, you're in a helpless state. And so the stronghold of hopelessness, again, once you move from this is hopeless to I am hopeless, look out. But Romans 8.37 says we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Through him, who, you are more than a conqueror. You see, a hopeless state for someone is that I'm a victim. See, when you have the victim mentality, you're in a hopeless state. See, God wants you to have a victor mentality. You can live your life as a victim, or you can live your life as a victor, because you are more than victorious through Christ who loves you. Two mentalities. One is a defeated mentality, looking for sympathy. The other one is, I'm going going to overcome this, and I'm going to live the abundant life that Jesus Christ died for. I'm going to get healing from this. God's going to give me a testimony from this, and I'm going to live for him so others can know what it means to be a victor and not a victim. Two mindsets. Here's the next one. Stronghold of guilt. I have never, ever counseled someone who's gotten into trouble 
messed up, relapsed, fallen back, made mistakes, who doesn't deal with an overwhelming sense of guilt. You have guilt, you've got shame. Both of those will take you out. Next one is a stronghold of self-help. This is a big one. I think this is one of the biggest strongholds in the state of California, Christian or not. I can do it. I can be a star. I can be successful. I don't, I can beat this thing on my own. You know, another term for self-help is playing God. Thanks, God, but no thanks. I think I'll, I think I can change my past on my own. I think I can control other people on my own. I think I can manage my own pain on my own. I think I can manage my own problems on my own. Stronghold of self-help. I don't need encounter. I don't need church. I don't need Christ. That's a tough stronghold. And here's a big one. The fourth one, stronghold of insecurity. You deal with this one, you're going to lose your confidence. You see, insecure people are not confident people. And when you're not confident, you're insecure, it'll make you do silly things. It'll make you do stupid things. It'll, it'll wreck. If you're an insecure person that's not confident in who you are in Christ, all your relationships will struggle. All your relationships will struggle. You may never grow beyond the mental state of when you got hurt, whether it was six years old, 12 years old, 14 years old, because you're insecure about what was done to you in the past. You'll say things like, I have trust issues because you're insecure. And you won't take risk. You won't take healthy risk. You won't take godly risk. I go on and on about these, but we'll be here all night. Stronghold of hopelessness, guilt, self-help, and insecurity. I say all of that lets you know that when you know who you really are in Christ and really understand what it means to be a child of God, it is virtually impossible for those things to take root in your life. And if they've taken root before you received Christ, they need to come out and be pulled out in Jesus' name. I've struggled with all those strongholds that led to major strongholds that the world calls addictions in my life. They didn't get demolished when I got saved and accepted Christ. Listen to me very carefully. They didn't go away on day one. They got demolished when I understood the truth about the root of them and when I realized who I was in Christ. That was a game changer for me. See, when you trust in Jesus and know who you are in Christ, here's another perk. Want another benefit package? Here it is. Your prayer life gets activated and empowered. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's one of many, that's one of hundreds of prayer promises in Scripture for us. It's a prayer principle. It's also a salvation principle, but it's only through a personal relationship with him and being born again that we can pray like Jesus and experience what it means to pray, knowing that our Father in heaven always hears us and answers our prayers when we align our will with his motives. That when two of you agree to touch anything that you ask for, it shall be done to my Father which is in heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. When you're in Christ, you'll say a prayer with the confidence that Jesus prayed when he prayed for Lazarus, Father, I thank you that you always hear me when I pray. Don't you want to have the confidence that when you raise up your hands to your Father in heaven, you can pray with confidence because Jesus is intercepting and making sure those prayers are getting to the Father. If you pray to the Father, Jesus is next to him, and the Father's going to Jesus, hey, Mike, John, Joe, Mary, they're praying to me. Are they one of yours? Are they ours? Have they accepted what you've done? And Jesus turned around and said, yes, they have. Okay, send that prayer to me. Let's take care of it. And, he'll, and Father will take care of it in his timing. You see, you may die, but our prayers never die. And we never know when God's going to answer them or how God's going to answer them. Maybe it's a mighty big miracle. I remember going home one time to New York, and I remember meeting with my sisters one time, and there was a lady that I grew up with. She's the mother of just a, a guy I hung out with, got a teammate of mine, a basketball player. And she looked at me, and she said, Bill, there's something different about you. I said, well, since you ask, 
I said, I've given my life to Jesus Christ and I live for him. She goes, well, I gave up on God a long time ago. He never answered my prayers and I told him where to go. She said a couple of other things, so she's a New Yorker. I couldn't, I couldn't say it on stage. And then she left, she came back. And she goes, well, tell me more. And, uh, and I started talking to her about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And she goes, well, I was praying for my daughter, I was praying for this, and God never answered my prayers. And I looked at her and I said, Dolores... I said, you, you know, the scripture says this in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So no one gets to the Father except through me. I said, we all grew up together, and I said, but I never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. I said, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and the way you do that is you realize that you're a sinner, you repent of those sins, turn from those sins, and you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you say a prayer. You actually verbalize that prayer, but you mean it in your heart. I said, that will start that relationship with Jesus Christ, and then you can know that your prayers are getting to the Father. She goes, okay. And then she left, and bef but bef long story short, before I left that place, I asked her if she'd, like to, if, if she'd like to say that prayer, inviting Jesus Christ into her heart, and she did. And she gave her life to Christ, and she said, pray for my daughter Margot. She has incurable cancer. And the doctors can't do anything with her. And I said, well, I want to pray. I'm going to pray. But I believe that God wants to hear from you now, now that you've got your relationship with Jesus and the Father restored. So will you commit to pray for your daughter as well? And we both prayed. And then I got a report months later that God not only healed her daughter, but he eliminated every cancer cell in her body, so much to the point that the Catholic Church declared it a modern-day miracle. And that happened in New York City, all because of the power of prayer. One more benefit of going all in with Jesus and realizing who you are in Christ. When you do this, it should, it should, don't worry about the clock tonight, boys. When you do this, it should, I'm going to try and get through this quickly. It should compel you to live a life of faith where hope is always burning bright. See, faith has to be your Genesis starting point for everything that you do. Fear consults the facts, but faith consults the truth, the way, and the life, Jesus Christ. See, when your faith is relational, the level of trust will always increase. It'll always increase. Trust is the highest form of faith and produces hope that changes everything and illuminates the love of God. Does that make sense? If there was ever a time for hope, it would be now. It would be now. What we need in society is not a nuclear invasion, but a hope invasion. If all that remains when it's all said and done anyway is faith, hope, and love, why not activate and live out anchor number two at Encounter? Believe that God's love and power can restore hope and healing in your life by faith and live that out so you can work towards your eternal retirement plan. Hope is hard to find without faith. And everyone, everyone, you're here tonight because you're looking for hope. You really are. Have you noticed that there are always two alternatives in life when people are in need of hope? You can panic or pray. You can worship or you can worry. You can meditate on God's word or listen to the voices of others. You can obey God and be blessed or disobey God and forfeit that blessing. You can reap what you sow, a blessing later and greater, or you can reap what you sow, a curse later and greater. Because your blessings or curses will always come later and greater. You can spend time in God's presence or waste your time with people who can't help you. You can be bitter or you can get better. You can be grateful or you can be resentful. You can build others up or you can gossip about them. You can think the worst about a person or just happen to think the best about that person and give them the benefit of the doubt. You can operate in faith, or you can operate in fear. You can trust God, or you can trust in yourself. You can believe God, or believe the lies in your head, or you can take your thoughts captive, or you can let your thoughts keep you captive. But Hebrews 6, 19, our ministry key verse, says this, but we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. So that's just the introduction in, of highlighting some of the benefits of becoming a child of God. 
So I want to switch gears a little bit and get to the beginning of the talk. Actually, I just want to outline real quick, not going to take long, the rest of the talk. I want to talk about the why, the how, and the roadblocks in the rest of the talk. I want to talk about why you should become a child of God. I want to talk about how to become a child of God. And I want to talk about what keeps you from experiencing the benefits, perks, and blessings of being a child of God. So why, you should, why should you become a child of God? Why? And walk in this identity. Well, let me get the basics out of the way first. You want to become a child of, the God, of God. You want to be his kid. You want to be a king's kid so you can spend an eternity with the creator of the universe. Not just with the creator of the universe. The one who decided when you would be born. Who knit you together in your mother's womb. Who wrote out a plan for your life before he spoke the world into existence. That's how much he thinks about you. That's how much he loves you. And he did all of that out of love because God wanted a family. And because he wanted a family, guess who he had in mind when he decided that he was going to expand his family? Each and every one of you. He decided the exact day and moment that you would be born, that you would be conceived. And he started working on you. He started knitting you together because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You want to become a child of God because not only is God love, he invented the idea of love. And you are alive and breathing because his great love for you. You'll never know what true love is what real love is, what God's love is, until you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. It is impossible to love someone else the way God intended you to love another person until you first receive the love that God has for you through his son, Jesus Christ. You'll never know what it means to be loved, that you have a creator of the universe who loves you. You'll never know what it means to love him back and then love others. That's what discipleship, that's what recovery is all about. Have you ever noticed in life, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, some have, some haven't, that when someone really loves someone, they're the first person in the relationship to say something about it, and they're usually the first person to make the move on the other person in such a way that the other person knows that person is in love with them. Well, you may never experience that, but that's what God did for us. Not only did God love you first, he made the first move on you. He did thousands of years ago. It says in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, when you didn't want anything to do with God, God loved you. God demonstrates his love for you in this. While you were sinners, while you didn't want anything to do with him. Again, while we were still sinners, while we were still unbelievers, while you didn't want anything to do with him, God demonstrates his love for you. Now, I know I'm going to stop right here. I know doing this and talking to people about Jesus Christ for 20 years, this is the hard part for most of you. Does God love me? Has God forsaken me? God, where are you when I need you most? How could you let this happen? Have you forgotten me? God, I don't seem to hear you. Have you forsaken me? I just don't feel like you're with me. Come on now. Have you ever felt that? Of course you have. If we were honest, so many would admit they struggle with the following questions. Has God forgotten me? Where is God? And here's the big one. God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you allowed me to go through this trial, this misery, this tragedy? I just want to let you know that you're not alone. This is exactly what the people of Israel were asking when they were going through a tough time. Look what it says in Isaiah 49, 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. You're not alone. You're not the only one who's, who's hit God with those hard questions, even though he's a God of love. And I just want to, if you're filling in the blanks, I want you to know two things right off the bat. One is you're always in God's thoughts. You're in God's thoughts, and you are always on his mind. You're always in God's thoughts, and you're always on his mind. You're not on Willie Nelson's mind. Okay, he's just smoking pot. He's not thinking about you. But you're on God's mind. You're always on God's mind. You're always in his thoughts. Second, 
you're in God's plan. You're in God's plan. You may not know this, but you're in a plan that was well thought out, that was written out, that was specific just for you. So the answer to the question from Isaiah 49, 14, we've got to go to Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, where God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. No, let's stop right there. I know, I know, I know, I'm thinking, I know, you don't know, but I know, because I think about it all the time. I have thoughts for you. I have thoughts about you that I think about all the time. I think about you constantly. I think about you so much that if you tried to think about how I think about you, it would just blow your mind. Matter of fact, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. Your thoughts are not like my thoughts. You can't think like me. You can't, you can't predict what I'm going to do because my thoughts are far superior than your best thought that you could ever have in a thousand lifetimes because that's another thing that he says in Isaiah. But my thoughts are always thinking about you, personally. That's how much I love you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. So not only are you in his thoughts, you're on his mind. He says, I know the plans I have. Not only do I think about you, but I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, to give you a hope in the future. Thoughts, thoughts. What are these thoughts that we're talking about? Well, let's go. Look what it says in Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the day, here it is, look at this. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Let that blow your mind. It says this, then you will call upon me and you will pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. How can God forget us if we're in his plans? You're in God's thoughts. You're always on his mind. And you're in God's plan. And lastly, I want you to know you're in his thoughts. You're in his mind. You're in his plans. I want you to know that you're always in his hands. I want you to know that you're in the palm of God's hands. God holds your life in the palm of God's hands. The answer to Isaiah 49, 14 comes in verses 15 and 16. And here's God's response to the people of Israel, and it's our response. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Some of you may think, thinking, of course not, but some of you know that you have mothers who have forgotten, who have forsaken you as terrible, as tragic as that is. Though she may forget, this is God speaking, I will not forget you. I have not forgotten you. I have engraved you. God has a tattoo of you on his hand. I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are forever before me. Friends, that's amazing. You are loved by the God of love who has not forgotten you who always has you in his mind, in his thoughts, who knows the plans he has for you, and you're always in his hands. So here it is, friends. Here's how you become a child of God. So you can have the assurance that you're always on his mind, in his thoughts, always in his plans, and always in his hands. This is important. This is what you have to do. Are you ready? Listen to me very carefully. You have to die. You got to die. Most people say, well, I just, I'll, just, I'll just accept Jesus. No, you have to die. You have to die to yourself. You have to forsake yourself. You have to pick up your cross, realize that you have sinned and you have fallen short of God's holy standard. You have to repent of your sins, turn from your sins, turn to Jesus and trust in him 
for the forgiveness of those sins and the free gift of eternal life by deciding that you're going to live for him by loving him back out of gratitude. This is important. I'm going to break this down for you in a simple little RSVP acrostic. That's a different one. You've never heard me talk about this RSVP. I got something in the mail about my nephews getting married in New York, and it was an RSVP. Want to know if I was going to attend the wedding? Of course I am. I have to go to New York for another crazy Italian wedding. But I have to RSVP, okay? Now, God sends us an RSVP, sort of an invite on how to enter into the relationship that he wants with us. And the R in RSVP is simply repent of your sins. The Bible says all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. Now, some of you may think, well, I'm not really a bad sinner. See, then you're living under the law. Because if you're thinking, if you're thinking that your righteousness is good, and I speak to a lot of people that they think, well, if I just, if I'm not like those, you know, I'm not like ISIS, you know, I'm not like the politicians in California, you know, if I'm not, I'm not like, I'm, like, I'm not like the Democrats, I'm not like the Republicans, I'm not like, you know, I'm, I'm not like these people, those people, you know, I'm, 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 I'm fairly a good person. Oh, really? Yeah, and that's why I get this question all the time. Why, 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 do, why do bad things happen to good people? You ever get that question? Okay, you know why? Because there's no good people. We've all fallen short. You're not good. You think you're good, but you're not. There's a, there's a predisposition of something rotten inside of Bill Reeser that has to die, that has died, that continues to die, that has to die daily, because if it comes out, it's ugly. It's called sin. It's not who I am, it's what I do, that sort of every now and then wants to resurrect itself, say, hey, remember me? And the Bible says this, for all, for all you goody-two-shoes believers that think your good works are going to get you there, it says in the book of James, if, we've, if you've committed one sin. You're, you're in the same boat as those who committed thousands of sins. If you do one thing, you break one commandment in your lifetime. Because here's the deal. God's a holy God. You may have forgotten that today because you don't hear that often today. That God, I got, I got a newsflash for you. God is still holy. And in order to be in his presence, your sin has to be taken care of. Now, if you think you can take care of your sin problem, whether it's one sin or a thousand sins, I'd like to hear your idea. But God had a better idea. He sent Jesus to die for your sin, to forgive you of your sin, to become your sin, so that he can take your sin, so that you can be forgiven of your sin, so that you can be declared righteous, so that you can be declared holy, so that you can stand before a holy God one day and that holy God will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant, come on in. So the R stands for repent of your sins. The S stands for start running in a new direction. Start running in a new direction. That's the, that's the response to repentance. Repentance means I'm sorry. Start running in a new direction means I'm sorry I committed those sins. I'm turning from those sins and I'm turning to Jesus. I'm walking a new direction with Jesus. Repent of your sins. Start running in a new direction. The V is verbalize your faith by declaring your trust in Jesus with your mouth and in your heart. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Here's the P, RSVP. Are you ready? This is important. Pledge my allegiance to Jesus Christ and his word. Pledge my allegiance. We pledge our allegiance to the flag, and that's a good thing. But when you trust in Jesus, I pledge my allegiance to Christ all the time. I don't pray a prayer of salvation to get saved. I pray a prayer of salvation to be affirmed in my salvation. I do that by making God's word the authority over my life. You see, if you... And I'm going to live the rest of my life in full devotion to Jesus and fulfilling the words of Jesus to all of us. And that's when he said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. In John 14, 15. In John 14, 21, 22, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. 
You want Jesus to show up in your situation? You want Jesus to change your life? You have to love him out of gratitude for all he's done in your response to RSVPing to his great love for you. That he's forgiven you. He's, he's given you eternal life. He gave you his Holy Spirit. He gives you gifts. He gives you promises that are yes and amen to those that are in Christ. John 15, 12, he says, love each other as I have loved you. I counsel so many people. And they run into problems because they don't live out John 15, 12. Love each other as Christ. You got to learn how, to, how Christ loves you. You got to learn how to forgive. You got to learn how to love unconditionally. You have to learn how to forgive and let go. John 8, 31, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Why am I saying all this stuff about obedience? And, 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 and let me clarify. It's obedience out of gratitude because you're under grace, because you're saved by grace and not by works, Ephesians 2, 8, but because I'm saved by grace, my natural response should be to love God back. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And so we, we obey God and follow his principles and commands out of gratitude because we are saved, not to get saved, but because we know we're saved, we're going to heaven. It's the least that we can do considering all that God has done for us. If obedience and becoming a disciple and fully submitting and surrendering yourself to God and his word is not your natural response, then what he's done for you, you may have not had a salvation experience. Because that's what real repentance does. Look what it says in Matthew 17. Matthew 7, rather. Verse 13. It says, the narrow and the wide gates. Enter through the narrow gate. This is why this isn't a popular. This is why the doors aren't busting open with hundreds of people like in my other programs that I used to run at churches. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few like you find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Here's a false prophet. A false prophet will teach you to accept Jesus without repenting from your sins, turning from your sins, and trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and walking away from your sins. They'll say, all you have to do is accept Christ. That's it. Don't worry about obedience. Don't worry about repentance. Just accept Christ. You'll be saved. You'll live forever. You'll have God with you, and you'll be blessed. That's a false prophet. They come to you in sheep's clothing. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Listen, the reason why someone wouldn't dare to teach obedience and submission to God is because they can't teach something they're not willing to live out. Always remember that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, this is Christ speaking, by the way. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me, they're going to say, but I never heard this stuff. They're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Why is that confusing when Jesus says, I never knew you? Doesn't Christ know us by name? Doesn't he know you by name? Doesn't, doesn't God have you in the palms of, your, of his hands? Doesn't Christ have thoughts about you, plans for you? You're always in his thoughts, minds, plans, and always in his hands. And Jesus is saying here, depart from me, I never knew you. That's not what we're saying. He's not saying, I don't know you. Jesus is saying, I know who I am. And I know someone when they know who they are in Christ and when they're in Christ, I can see myself in them. And I'm sorry, but I know who I am. I don't know who you are because I just don't see myself in you. And that's why it's important to know who you are in Christ because when you walk in Christ, Christ is in you. And the most important thing that you can have to take with you is not your money, not your bags, not your 401ks, but Christ in you. When Christ is in you, it's all you need to inherit eternity. See, when you understand what Jesus was teaching about remaining in him and abiding in his words, then all the promises that come from in Christ's scriptures 
will be fulfilled in your life. Stay with me. We just have about three minutes left. Stay with me. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in, in, in Christ. They are yes in Christ. So what keeps you from becoming a child of God? What keeps you from going all in with God who's gone all in with you? What keeps you from living a life of surrender and trust of the one who loves you despite you, who would never give up on you, who has you on his mind, his thoughts, his his plans, and in his hands? See, God's word is clear that he loves you. God's word is clear that he wants a relationship with you and wants you to be with him forever, never separated from his love ever again. God's word is clear that there's a heaven, there's a hell, there's a choice. God's word is clear that you'll either spend an eternity with God or spend an eternity separated from God. God's word is clear that these eternal decisions are the evidence that you were made in his image because God gave you the ability to choose. One of the ways that you, would, that you can know that you're made in God's image is that every day you have a choice. See, it's not real love without a choice. Otherwise, God would just have a bunch of puppets around. God wanted you to choose to love him or reject him. It's, it's really that simple. So what's your choice? What's your choice? Who you are in Christ, it's huge. Let me just close by sharing a couple of scriptures. And here it is. The first one of the night. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new has come. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Here it is. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, the holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Ephesians 2.19 says this. This is going to prepare our hearts for worship. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Here it is. But fellow citizens with God's people. That's what you are in Christ. You're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, in Christ, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's a word for us tonight as we worship. I'm going to be up front during our worship time. If you need prayer, want to surrender your life to Christ, want to pray a prayer of recommitment, just come find me in the front as we worship.